Reverend Richard Emanuel is here to give us his year-end review and where we might be headed in 2024 and his spin on our LGBTQ issues. Hi, Richard. Glad to be on the show. So what's your spin on where the human race is headed? Uh, This is unprecedented, probably going back to the collapse of the Roman Republic, the Roman Empire. And at that time, it was all about a collapse in Roman police system. Their Greco-Roman pantheon of gods were all arguing, so to speak. And uh, it seems like here we are in the third decade of the third millennium. We're witnessing the collapse of monotheism. And this is unprecedented happening. Your last interview was brilliant in terms of getting the subject out there of the war. We're in religious wars, and that's what nobody wants to talk about. Uh, I'm deeply depressed by that, because unless we address this, we are in deep trouble. What is your inspiration to keep moving forward? Um, The most relevant person attempting to deal with this collapse of monotheism and the religious My whole process has always been about the enigma being explored. What do we believe and how do we believe things? And so I've always researched. I said, well, let's go for the biggest concept there is that human beings have created. And the biggest thing that people have created is the concept of God. So I always look for inspirations in those other individuals who have been doing uh, their lives or their walkabout on this planet as uh, inspiration. The person who stood out most in my mind about the dealing with uh, humanism is the Hebrew scholar Martin Buber. And you ask for inspiration, I think his attempt, well, he described it as a Hebrew humanism, but that's within the context of his cultural process. But it's brilliant. And he wrote a book. People are having collisions of their beliefs. I said, look, just go look up the works of Martin Bober. He, in my mind, solved the problem at the end of World War II when the world had to address the failure to recognize what Nazi Germany was about. And what's so interesting about Martin Bober, he didn't blame the Nazis. Uh, He uh, brought it down to the I and the thou, and um, the I and it. And that has been the methodology of how we avoid real deep inner examination We don't examine what am I, who am I. And I think this is one of the most brilliant attempts at describing human relationships is Buber's work, The I and the Thou. What projects are you working on? One of the projects I'm working on is, you know, it's always been the meaning of life. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we've known each other a long, long time ago. We've talked about the same subjects, and each of us have grown through our deep friendship. 
and we've had arguments and so forth. And so the project has always been, uh, what is the meaning to life? I recently went back into the research into quotes and uh, studies of Shakespeare. Whoever he or she, or it could be a group of people, uh, is so extensive his work, um, what is always been asked is, uh, what is the purpose of the play? Shakespeare asks that in his, I think, his greatest play, The Tempest. And in it, the main character, toward the end of the play, breaks role, as uh, Shakespeare often does with his main characters, and addresses the audience as if they were part of it. And um, he asks the audience through Prospero, the uh, main character, the meaning of life, in a sense. And then Prospero answers his own question by saying, but at first the purpose of the play was but to entertain. And it seems that we, as human beings, just don't get it. We just don't see the humor in all of this. And we don't see ourselves as the divine in this world. The great narrative was, as above, so below. As in the small, so in the large. That's an ancient Greek understanding of the atomic structure of matter and the cosmos. And so back to Shakespeare, <laughs> the meaning that he came up with, and, I, and this is a kind of a edited quote, I try to keep it simple, but he states, the meaning of life, find your gift. The purpose of life, to give it away. And I think in this technological society, we have become so narcissistic, so uh, self-possessed, we don't know who we are. I mean, entire industries and media have been constructed all the way from uh, software, like uh, Facebook moving into all these different, uh, TikTok, all this stuff, all about star of the day <laughs> moment, get your five seconds of video, and then you track how many millions of people are watching it. And it's so superficial. And we don't take time out to examine that technology and to examine how that technology is being used against us. It's always been like this, but probably never as gap is huge between the elites and what we call the pawns of this world which is the rest of us. <laughs> you know, and someone asked me the other day, well, how do you feel, Richard? I said, well, I'm getting used to how the rest. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, the propagandists are winning. <laughs> We're told that you can't go out to the streets because something is going to get you. <laughs> so the propaganda is going unchecked. Uh, the narrative, we don't have a free press and I'm going to use another quote, uh, this time from Aldous Huxley, and he gives a definition of the propagandist's purpose. And the quote is, the propagandist's purpose is to make one set of people forget 
that certain other sets of people are human, unquote. Doesn't that describe the time we're in? What would you like to accomplish with your work? That's a difficult question because I don't see my work as an accomplishment rather than a living process. Uh, it's all experiential. I don't photograph my stuff. Other people do, and then they send me files and say, you know, you should have at least something. You know, and all the experiments, you know, this year, uh, 2023, is the 55th year of the experimental church. And all of this has been experienced through participation, people moving through the experimental gatherings, the plays, the poetry, the films, uh, the ceremonies, uh, the process of ritual. In fact, the year we opened, and this is 1968, a couple came to me and asked, will you marry us? And they were same gender. And I said, well, first of all, let me fill you in. I can help you from the ceremony, but I see marriage as a verb. You marry each other. I, I'm the MC of the Indian. And marriage is relationship. It's not gender-oriented. And that's one of the biggest problems. Right now, we still have it. It's not worked out. The references of same-sex marriage. And it's not correct. It's same-gender marriage. That's the correct process. And uh, again, that's why I brought up about the propagandists. That is why people are working on always making other people forget that the other people are human. And this keeps going on. I mean, this is happening as we speak with the uh, bombing in uh, the Gaza Strip. The world is filled with this is happening in the Ukraine. This is happening in South America with uh, the drums of war of one nation uh, attacking another for the oil rights and so forth. We don't see ourselves as one race of beings. And this has been the sugarcoating. We don't address, we may be creating our own apocalypse. Currently in this country, you know, we have such a white nationalist problem with over 600 anti-LGBTQ bills in states across the country. Women's rights are on the chopping block. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, all as we head into the 2024 election. What's your spin on all this? Well, I don't have a spin. I have an observation. And uh, people know, like, what they're creating. The process of our addressing, uh, again, supremacy, uh, hierarchy, uh, what are the processes that give one group to believe it's superior over the other, or in the fact of gender? What is it? It's programming. And, you know, this process, what this nation was built upon was a vision of what went wrong in Europe. 
people left because they wanted to express free thinking. They wanted to express free thinking in their beliefs. They wanted to start anew and discover. In fact, in the Christian side of the movement, it was copied from the Abrahamic roots of the New Jerusalem, the New Promised Land. And so here we are in the United States, and we're losing it. We forgot what we are when we talk about what it is to be free. And what is the most important thing, it's always shocking, the New Hampshire logo on their license plate, live free or die. And I go, wow, <laughs> that doesn't leave many options. We start sugarcoating everything. We start to make the story uh, all about finding happiness, discovering hope. In fact, look at what happened. We elected a president on one word, a black messiah. Obama ran as one word, and that was hope. And I said to other people, I said, one moment. We may be going to a very deep problem area here because hope is not a word of governance. It's a religious concept. And that concept was understood by the Greeks not to be positive, but to be a curse. Hope was a curse. In fact, in the narrative of the mythology, Pandora's jar was a gift given by Zeus to the first human being woman. And uh, Zeus said, look, everything that can afflict humankind is in that jar. I'm giving it to you. Don't open the jar. And that's like telling a kid, don't touch the stove. or you know, Don't eat the cookie. Uh, don't touch the apple. And she does. She opens the, uh, the lid, and everything flies out. But she managed to get the lid back on, but she glimpses in the bottom of the jar, and what's in the bottom of the jar, and human beings let that out later, is hope. Hope was a curse. Uh, if you're hoping, you're waiting. It's an opiate. You're always waiting. And so again, let me bring up another quote from uh, Leo Tolstoy. Free thinkers are those who are willing to use their minds without prejudice and without fearing to understand things that clash with their own customs, privileges, or beliefs. This state of mind is not common, but it is essential for right thinking where it is absent, discussion is apt to become worse than useless. And that's what I find terrifying about where we're going and what this process is. Our technology is being used to anesthetize us. And that is frightening. With LGBTQ teens already four times more likely to attempt suicide than their heterosexual peers after facing bullying incidents, what advice would you have for these kids, especially in these times? Well, in the other periods of time, there wasn't this bullying about being different 
various cultures have handled what is considered a gift, considered an invitation of the gods, a special way of talking with them. In fact, an ancient quote of the Greeks says, he who the gods first choose to meet with or speak to, they first make mad. And the reason why they do that is that other men or women won't believe them. And so here these young kids. Young kids today are being, and this is our generation inflicting this upon us, the baby boomers will not get off the stage. They need to get off the stage. They view youth as the enemy. Youth is the relief, and it's up to the adults to encourage these young persons who are different in their thinking, and that's always what is so beautiful about uh, the four seasons. Uh, youth is the summer uh, of early summer, spring and early summer of the year. Fall is the adult years of greatest productivity, and winter is the process of taking the experiential knowledge and acting it out as wisdom. And that is what needs to be translated uh, and given as encouragement to these young individuals who, uh, and this has been an amazing period. It's only been the last 60 years that uh, people have risked their lives. The whole women's movement uh, that began in the early 20th century uh, to the civil rights movement, to the gay lesbian movement, and that movement, LGBT, has expanded things even further in terms of looking at how multiple uh, and how diverse all human beings are and encouraging them to be themselves. But at the same time, we have to all realize it's getting to be crowded, so we have to basically be aware of the other and make sure we don't hit somebody else next to us. So, again, that goes back to do no harm. How can people get information about you and your work? <laughs> I try to keep it a secret. <laughs> but we have a website. The church is an experimental building. It was built by the Universalists. The building, the physical building was in 1886. Uh, I think it was the fifth or sixth parish of the Universalists. In fact, I just attended a Universalist mother churches of the Universalists here in Gloucester. And Gloucester is celebrating its 400th year. And uh, the reverend that established the break from the congregational Puritans who, remember, Massachusetts was a uh, Puritan colony. And so when another uh, group of, set up a church, the Puritan uh, congregation said, well, that doesn't matter. You still have to tithe to us. You still have to pay us 10%. And that dispute in Massachusetts, this is all colonial and then revolutionary, became the process of say no, I'm not going to pay, 
and became the basis of the separation of church and state, that Congress will pass no laws respecting the establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof. So that's what we put on our website. Uh, that's what the meetings are about. We meet on Friday evenings for open discussion from 7 to 9. And then there's individuals can set up time to for counseling and so forth. And we really enjoy thinkers who are on their own walkabout to share with us their ideas and their discoveries. There's moments like this. Your broadcast brings notice to us, and we always get a uh, reaction, uh, a surge of interest. So thank you, Charlotte. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra to get you through these difficult times? Well, I've been using this one, and I think this is a good one for all of us, in terms of the narration. Human beings are storytellers and listeners. There's the person telling the story, and there's the audience listening to it. So the more stories that are out there, uh, greater the understanding about diversity. And so... Um, Oh, we're going into it, and I believe you have been so great in punching holes in this, trying to keep it open. The power of censorship is uh, growing, not just in this country, but across the world. And so the quote I would, and this is going to take some reflections upon the person hearing this, this time it comes from George Orwell. And the quote is, he who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. It's knowing your own story. Knowing that this story is about you. It's not about the world. Each person is their own story. So I, I think George Orwell is addressing here uh, the idea of propagandist, without saying the word, religion, storytelling, is all to get an audience to believe that you have something that they don't have and that you should either buy or follow. So it's the basis of capitalism. It's the basis of all transactions, getting people to believe that you are not the story that you need to buy something to make you look better or you need to hold a belief that gives you power over the other. And so that's why the idea of controlling history, the past, is the foundation on which how people will build their present reality, believing that the foundation is built upon solid ground without investigating how solid is that ground? How real is that story? How real is that product? How real is that relationship? And this is all about asking questions. And so that's why I, I use that quote from George Orwell, stated as such, because it's not a linear line. It's a circle uh, carousel is always the you know, 
painted ponies go up and down. The carousel goes around and around. But it's more like a spiral because it is always centered to a core, but it could spiral up or it could spiral down. And that's the choice of consciousness. And that is what I think is the greatest gift that was given to the human being is the gift of free will because it placed you in the realm of the gods themselves.